In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm answering questions about how far in advance you should buy a plane ticket and why Singapore Changi Airport is widely considered to be the world's best. Afterwards, we're going to take a look at airline alliances and how they benefit you as a traveler. Welcome to episode 7 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel. As usual, I'm going to start off by answering some questions about air travel, and then for the main segment, I'm going to delve into airline alliances and talk about everything from why they exist to what it all means for travelers. Our first question today was submitted by Avdeep from Cincinnati, Ohio, and he messaged me on Facebook to ask, how far in advance should you buy a plane ticket? This is a really good question and there's a lot of factors at play, and unfortunately there isn't a super clear answer, but let me explain. In normal times, airline pricing is a very complicated science, and airlines have a lot of data on trends, and what they'll do is price their flights based on this data, and they adjust their prices based on things like who their customers are, the specific route, how that specific flight is selling, and a lot of other things as well. Airline pricing is very dynamic and changes from day to day and even hour to hour. And you'll notice this if you try to book a flight uh, one day and you might notice that the next day the price has changed drastically. During the COVID-19 pandemic, though, things are a little bit different because all the data that airlines have from normal times isn't really useful right now. But pricing and schedules can still be very dynamic for sure. So unfortunately, there isn't a super great answer to this question. The idea that the earlier you buy a ticket... The cheaper it is, is sometimes true, but not always. Depending on where you're trying to book or what you're trying to book, the initial fare that comes out might be very expensive. Some reports out there have tried to look at the data and come up with recommended windows of when you should buy your ticket, but there isn't really a clear and consistent conclusion. The one guideline where there does seem to be common consensus, though, is that you should book a ticket at least 21 days in advance, and at least during normal times. And that's because that's the time frame when things are likely to start getting fairly expensive, about three weeks out. Again, things are quite different right now because of COVID-19, and different airlines are taking different approaches to scheduling and pricing. But even in normal times, though, it all really depends on a bunch of factors, including the airline, the season, your specific itinerary, and more. Well, thanks, Avdeep, for reaching out to us on social media to ask your question. If you have a question that you want to be featured on the podcast, get in touch with us on social media. The links are in the episode description. Or you can go to our website at flyingsmarter.com. There you can record your question or send us a message. Why is Singapore Changi Airport considered the world's best airport? Well, Singapore Changi is a big global hub and it has flights to a lot of destinations. But it's also home to what is perhaps the world's most exceptional airport experience today. And the airport's been named the world's best airport by Skytrax and it's held that title for eight consecutive years. It's also won numerous other awards from different organizations. And it has pretty much everything you could ask for from an airport. For starters, the airport is beautiful and features breathtaking architecture, and very importantly, it has a wide array of good shopping and dining options. What gets it so much attention though is some of its truly amazing amenities, and I've been there to witness some of these, and it's truly amazing. There's a rooftop swimming pool, movie theaters, a four-story slide, and so much more. 
it doesn't just have one green space or one garden area. There's a butterfly garden, a sunflower garden, and numerous just big green spaces that feature things like cacti and water lilies throughout the terminal. If you have a connection that is longer than five and a half hours, there's free city tours that you can take. And here's something that was built quite recently that's pretty cool. So linked to three of its four terminals on the pre-security side is what's called Jewel Changi Airport. And that's the airport's stunning new multi-use complex. It's about 1.5 million square feet and it contains over 300 retail and dining outlets. And it's housed in this glass and steel dome. And at the centerpiece of the structure is the world's largest indoor waterfall. It's truly stunning to see. People often grumble about airports and complain about low ceilings or bad food options, but Singapore Changi Airport really does an excellent job of creating an amazing passenger experience, and that's why it's often seen as the world's best airport. Did you know that some airlines have been carrying passengers on flights to nowhere during the COVID-19 pandemic? Since the air travel industry has been hard hit by the pandemic, some airlines have gotten creative and have been offering what have been called flights to nowhere. Since there are lots of restrictions on travel, these flights take off, fly around for a bit, and then land back at the same airport. These have mostly taken place in Asia and in Australia, in regions with low COVID-19 case numbers, and they've been a way to give people a unique experience while also generating some revenue for the airline. They might seem a bit irresponsible from an environmental perspective, but it's worth noting that airlines have been flying empty planes around to keep pilots certified anyway, so there's a decent chance that these planes might have been taking off even if there were no passengers. When you've flown, you may have heard announcements on your plane that include phrases like these. On behalf of United, our Star Alliance partners and your entire flight crew, Welcome aboard SkyTeam member China Airlines. All of us at British Airways and indeed the One World Alliance. Star Alliance, SkyTeam, and One World are all major airline alliances, and announcements like these highlight the fact that your airline is part of an alliance. Airline alliances are our main topic for today, and what they are are strategic partnerships between groups of airlines. Now, many air travelers have a basic understanding of what an alliance is, but I want to go into further detail and explore how they work, why they exist, and what the benefits for travelers are. And I also want to talk about the different alliances and how to figure out which one is best for you. While alliance-type partnerships have existed for a long, long time, the modern-day airline alliance isn't actually that old. The first of today's big alliances was formed in 1997 when Air Canada, Lufthansa, Scandinavian Airlines, Thai Airways, and United Airlines came together to form Star Alliance. Competing airlines saw that it was a good idea and came together to form the world's two other major alliances, which are One World and SkyTeam, a few years later. The idea of an airline alliance is to create benefits through large-scale cooperation between airlines. The most important reason why airlines cooperate through alliances is to expand their networks. Alliance partners will generally do a lot of code sharing with each other to allow them to increase the number of destinations that they serve. If you aren't familiar with the term code sharing, it's basically when an airline markets and puts its own flight number on a flight that is operated by another airline. The seats on that flight are sold not only by the airline that is operating the flight, but also all of its code-sharing partners. 
And let me give you an example. So let's say that on the day of this episode's release, October 23rd, 2020, you're traveling from Frankfurt, Germany to Phoenix, Arizona in the US. You can book a ticket with Lufthansa, which is Germany's major airline, and you can get an itinerary that involves a flight from Frankfurt to Houston, and then you would connect on a second flight to Phoenix. Your ticket shows two Lufthansa flight numbers, but for your second flight, you're actually getting on a United Airlines plane, and that's because it's a code share flight. Lufthansa doesn't fly to Phoenix, so this arrangement benefits the airline because it allows its passengers to buy tickets to Phoenix without Lufthansa having to fly its own plane there. For United, this arrangement is also beneficial because Lufthansa is basically helping it sell seats on its flights. So that's the basics of code sharing, and within an alliance, airline partners will generally have a lot of these arrangements between themselves. I should probably also note that airlines don't necessarily have to code share in order to be able to market and sell seats on each other's flights, but I don't want to make things more complicated than they need to be. But in a nutshell, alliances give airlines opportunities to market flights and get their passengers to more destinations without the airline having to fly there themselves. Another big benefit for airlines is that alliance partners will generally link their frequent flyer programs. What this means is that if I'm a member of Air Canada's Aeroplan Frequent Flyer Program, for example, I can earn Aeroplan miles when flying on other Star Alliance carriers, and then I can use my miles to redeem for flights on other Star Alliance carriers as well. And this type of arrangement is obviously great for the passenger, but it also makes frequent flyer programs more appealing and more valuable, and they also help airlines fill seats on their planes. Later on in this segment, I'll talk a bit more about how linked frequent flyer programs and alliances is a really good thing for passengers, but I want to finish up covering why airlines join alliances first. There's some things that you won't really see as a passenger as well. From a business perspective, global competition in the airline industry is fierce, and alliances can help improve the competitiveness of airlines and defend against other large competitors. Having a large network and more benefits for travelers makes an airline more appealing. Alliances also help present opportunities for airlines to sell services to each other, and a good example of this is ground handling services. So ground handling refers to a wide range of airport support functions, from staffing the check-in counters and the gate, to cargo loading and aircraft marshalling and pushback. It usually doesn't make sense for airlines to have their own staff at every single airport they serve, so they'll often outsource these roles to other airlines or to ground handling companies. Airlines are more likely to do business with their alliance partners, so joining an alliance can be seen as a good opportunity to sell services to other airlines. For example, China Airlines' ground handling company at Taiwan's Taoyuan International Airport provides ground handling services to a number of fellow alliance members like KLM and Xiamen Air. For passengers, having more travel options is obviously a good thing, and alliances help make this possible. I've already talked a lot about how alliances help airlines expand their networks, so I won't go over all that again, but basically alliances help passengers have more options and get further on one ticket. The benefits for you as a passenger go much further beyond that though. Airline alliances make the connecting experience easier for passengers, and I mean this in two ways. The first way is an extension of what I was saying earlier about getting further on one ticket. Let's say you wanted to get somewhere in the US to somewhere in Southeast Asia, but there was no direct flight and you had to make a connection somewhere in Asia and change airlines to make it happen. 
If your airlines didn't have some sort of partnership, you would have to buy two separate tickets and check in twice. Plus, if your first flight from the US to Asia was delayed, you would likely not be able to get rebooked on your second flight if you miss it, since the second airline would just see it as you not having shown up. If you're able to get both flights on the same ticket or itinerary though, then all these problems would be avoided. Now, airlines don't necessarily need an alliance-style partnership to make it happen, but alliances create tons of these types of opportunities for passengers, and they help facilitate thousands, if not tens of thousands, of these connections every day. The second way that alliances can help make connecting easier for passengers is that at large airports with multiple terminals, airline partners tend to be located within the same terminal, or at least somewhat close to each other. Now this isn't always the case of course, but Alliance members will try to be co-located within a terminal for a bunch of reasons, like making connecting easier for passengers, sharing lounges, or providing ground handling services for each other. For example, at Beijing Capital Airport, Star Alliance members are all located at Terminal 3, and at Paris's Charles de Gaulle Airport, all Skysheam and One World Airlines are located within Terminal 2. Some of the best benefits for passengers are for those who are part of our frequent flyer program and who collect points and miles. Generally speaking, if you're a member of a frequent flyer program and the airline is in an alliance, you can collect miles on flights that you take with any alliance member. And similarly, you can redeem your miles for flights on any airline alliance member. So for example, let's say you're a member of United Airlines' frequent flyer program, United Mileage Plus. United is a member of Star Alliance, so you can redeem miles and spend them on Star Alliance member airlines. If you're flying on Singapore Airlines between Singapore and Australia, you can collect and earn United Mileage Plus miles because Singapore Airlines is also a Star Alliance member. Air Canada is also a part of Star Alliance, so you could redeem your United Mileage Plus miles for a flight from Canada to Europe, for example. These alliance-wide earning and redemption privileges are a key part of making the most out of your points and miles. If you're an elite member of an airline's frequent flyer program, or in other words, you have status, and that airline is part of an alliance, it gets even better. Status levels that you have with your airline are recognized by other alliance members, and that means that you can get elite benefits when traveling with partner airlines. To show you what I mean, let's go back to our hypothetical United Mileage Plus membership. Let's say you've flown enough in a year to get yourself to the lowest tier of status, which is known as Premier Silver. What this gives you is something called Star Alliance Silver status, and that gives you access to priority reservations waitlist and priority airport standby when you're traveling on a Star Alliance member. If you're at a higher tier of status within the United Mileage Plus program, you get what is called Star Alliance Gold, and that comes with a bunch more benefits across the Star Alliance network, including lounge access, priority security access, and extra baggage allowance. So let's say you fly a lot with United and are a premium platinum member with the Mileage Plus program, which gives you Star Alliance Gold status. For whatever reason, let's say you're flying Air New Zealand between Auckland and Tokyo, Even though this itinerary has nothing to do with United, you can still get benefits like lounge access, priority check-in, and extra baggage because A, you have a Star Alliance gold status, and B, Air New Zealand is a member of Star Alliance. The other two major alliances, SkyTeam and OneWorld, also have similar systems of recognizing status across Alliance members. 
Another interesting thing that all three major airline alliances in the world offer is round-the-world tickets. If you have a bit of money and are looking to take a trip around the world, all three airline alliances offer you an opportunity to book an itinerary to take an adventure around the globe. You can customize your trip and choose where you're going and how long you want to stay for, and it's a pretty neat idea. The idea is that booking an itinerary this way would cost you less than purchasing a bunch of individual one-way segments on their member airlines for your trip. Now of course, this obviously isn't very feasible or responsible right now given the fact that there's a global pandemic, but in normal times, this may be something to consider if you have the time and the money. Now, I want to turn to the very practical question of how to pick which airline alliance is best for you. And this is important to consider even if you don't fly that much, because as I discussed with my guest in episode 4, you don't really have to be a frequent flyer or big spender to take advantage of points and miles. And here's why. Let's say you're a member of the Delta Sky Miles program, and you take a flight around once a year, which earns you some miles, but you aren't really anywhere close to having enough miles to redeem them for free travel. Now let's say on a one-time basis you have to go from the US to Asia, either for work or vacation or whatever the reason may be. For your trip, you'll also need to take some shorter flights within Asia, and you'll have a bunch of options when it comes to which airline to fly with, both in terms of getting to Asia and back, and then also within Asia. Chances are that price will be one of your biggest concerns, but it's also your interest to keep airline alliances in mind since you're a member of our frequent flyer program. Delta is part of the SkyTeam alliance, so if you're looking to fly with an Asian airline, you would want to consider ones like China Airlines or China Eastern Airlines or Korean Air because they're all SkyTeam members. The flights you take with them would therefore allow you to earn Delta SkyMiles. So even if taking one of these airlines is slightly more expensive than the cheapest option, it might be worth it because the miles you earn also have value. This is especially true if you're close to being able to redeem your miles for a reward ticket. If flying on a Sky Team member is going to get you enough points just to make that next trip to see your parents free, then it might be worth paying a little bit more to fly with that Alliance member, right? Delta Sky Miles never expire, so even if you fly fairly infrequently, the miles will add up and eventually you'll be able to redeem them for something. The three major airline alliances out there in the world are Star Alliance, One World, and Sky Team. Star Alliance is the oldest of the three, and it has the most members as well, with 26 airlines from every continent. Unsurprisingly, it has a pretty extensive network around the world. In North America, it has United and Air Canada, and it also has a number of carriers based in Europe, Asia, and Africa. It also has pretty good coverage in Central and South America through two major players around there, Copa Airlines and Avianca. One World was founded in 1999 and has 13 members as of October 2020. Some of its larger players include American Airlines, British Airways, Cathay Pacific, Qantas, and Japan Airlines, and Alaska Airlines is also scheduled to join One World in 2021, and that would bring the membership up to 14. Although its membership consists of airlines from all around the world, there's some notable parts of the world that aren't really represented. So One World doesn't have members from Africa, from South America, or China, although its other Asian members do provide a lot of connections to China. But if you're a member of a frequent flyer program of a One World member, you might have a harder time earning or redeeming miles if you're trying to get to certain parts of the world. SkyTeam is the youngest of the three major alliances and it currently has 19 members. 
that has pretty good coverage of the world, but it doesn't have any members based in Africa or Oceania. Some of its larger members are Air France and KLM in Europe, Delta Airlines in the US, Saudi and Middle Eastern Airlines in the Middle East, and China Airlines, China Eastern Airlines, Korean Air, and Vietnam Airlines in Asia. Philippine Airlines is also slated to join SkyTeam sometime in the future. There are also two alliances that consist of Asian low-cost carriers, UFLY Alliance and Value Alliance. Because their membership is made up of low-cost carriers, their main focus is on connectivity and they offer less benefits when it comes to things like frequent flyer programs when you compare them to the three larger and older alliances. Which airline alliance is best for you basically depends on where you live and where you're going. You're often going to be constrained in your choice because of your home airport. If you live in Canada, for example, your main option for international travel is Air Canada. And if you're a member of their frequent flyer program Aeroplan, you'll be in the Star Alliance network. If you live in the Netherlands, chances are you'll be flying with KLM, who is a SkyTeam member. Sometimes it's easier to have some more choice though. Let's say you live in Tokyo and you can choose between the frequent flyer programs of Japan Airlines, an One World member, and All Nippon Airways, a Star Alliance member. Maybe you need good travel options to South America because you have family there, and Star Alliance offers better connectivity in that part of the world than One World, so you probably want to look at flying with All Nippon Airways. If you live in New York City, for example, all three major US airlines have hubs at at least one of the city's airports, and each of the three airlines is part of a different alliance. So in that case, you might want to consider each airline and each alliance's frequent flyer programs and network coverage. That brings us to the end of this episode of Flying Smarter. Please take a minute to follow us on social media or on Facebook and Instagram at Flying Smarter and on Twitter at Flying underscore Smarter. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.